Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? We're doing all good? All right. Would you turn to your neighbor as we get started? Tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, 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 this word today is for me. Great. Well, today we are continuing on a series that we have been on, like Pastor Amos mentioned. Um, this series is entitled Church on the Move, as we explore the book of Acts and um, the origin story of our church. We are exploring how it is that the Holy Spirit started the movement that we now know as the church. And I think it's apt that uh, to, as we go this year focusing on going missional, that we get brought back to our original design, our original purpose. Because the first instruction that um, Jesus gave the church was to go and make disciples of all nations. Amen? Amen? So it's, it's good for us to revisit that this morning. It reminds us why we are here. It reminds us uh, of our purpose, our reason for existence, the reason that we are gathered, the reason we are Christians. So let's have a look at it today. So before we jump into today's passage, we're going to need to do a little bit of catch up on the book of Acts. So that, let me give you a high level summary of what has happened so far. So Acts chapter one, Pastor Dan preached a great sermon on Jesus after his resurrection, speaking to the disciples. And he's telling them, hey, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you so that you can receive power to be my witnesses. And then in Acts chapter two, we see the fulfillment of that in Pentecost. Pastor Amos preached a great message on that last week where the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples waiting all together in a room and they broke out in tongues and other languages and they began to prophesy and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in all these different languages. It was an amazing, miraculous event. And now, before we jump into today's passage, a few things have occurred that we're going to need to have some context on before we uh, read today's passage. First and foremost is what happens after Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit falls, tongues breaks out, everybody is hearing uh, the gospel being preached in their own language, and some of them are thinking, hmm, uh, these guys uh, have had too much wine. And so in in the midst of the chaos that is going on, Peter stands up, he addresses the crowd that is looking on, and he says, hey, 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 this is the Holy Spirit. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach his first sermon, and the Bible records that from that moment, the church exploded onto the scene. In one day, 3,000 people were added to their number. That's what the Bible records. And so the church becomes a mega church in an instant. And then from that moment, because the church has now grown so large, the church begins to organize. The church begins to gather daily, meet every day in the temple courts. They used to, um, the Bible records that there was extraordinary um, generosity and love and sacrifice towards one another. Um, the Bible says also that they were enjoying favor with all of the people around them and that God was adding to their number daily. Come on, can anybody, anybody want to be in a church like that? Yeah. yeah? And so these things are going on. And then in Acts chapter 3, which is before the passage we're delving into today, it tells the beautiful story, <laughs> pun intended, of, the, of Peter and John healing the lame beggar at the temple gate called Beautiful. And the Bible tells a very important story about this beggar. This beggar, the Bible records, was lame from birth. So from birth, he could not walk. All right? And it records that every day he would be carried to the temple gates and he would be placed there to beg. So if you were living in Jerusalem for the last 40 years, which is how long this man has been living, you would have noticed this beggar. 
this lame beggar, every time you visited the temple, you would have seen him, you would have known him, he would be a familiar face to you, almost like coming into church and seeing Pastor Benny. He would be a familiar face to you, and you would know him. And so what happens is Peter and John, they're walking up to the temple, they're coming by the temple gate, they see this beggar, and then those famous words that Peter speaks to the beggar. He says, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Get up and walk. And miraculously, the man is healed. And it's, a, it's big news. It's big news. Because remember, that man has been there for 40 years. And the Jewish people are a religious people. They visit the temple all the time. So for 40 years, they've seen this man that everybody in the whole city knows has been lame from birth, walking around, jumping, dancing, celebrating. And they're astonished. They're astounded. And so amidst all this bewilderment, Peter once again stands up ever the speakerphone and he says, hey, why are you amazed? It wasn't us. It wasn't our power that healed this man. It was Jesus Christ. And he begins to preach about Jesus and how Jesus is the Messiah and how Jesus is coming back again. Okay, everyone with me so far? Great. So what happens? Peter's preaching, man is healed, a lot of amazement, a lot of bewilderment at what is happening. The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the temple guard, the, the chief priests, they're all around the temple, and they begin to listen in to what is being preached by Peter and John. And they are disturbed because they're hearing Peter and John preaching about Jesus and his resurrection and the resurrection that is found in him. And it's, it's important for us to note that the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. So the Sadducees were a group that they believed once life was over, that was it. You ceased to exist. And so they're hearing something which they believe is blasphemous. And so what they do is they get Peter and John, they throw them into prison, and they throw them into prison overnight. And that's where we jump into today's passage, where Peter and John are now being called before the Sanhedrin to be interrogated for what, they, for what they're doing. Is everyone with me so far? Okay. Everyone good? Well, if you're there, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 5. That's where we're going to be picking up today. And um, that context, that story that I just told you is going to be important for us to understand as we read it. Okay, verse 5, it says this. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and some and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? talking about the healing of the lame beggar. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, everyone say filled with the Holy Spirit. That's going to be important. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Can anyone say amen to that? Now, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. 
What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called Peter and John in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this true story of how you moved through Peter and John. Lord, as we open up the word today, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would reveal to us what it is that you want to show us. Lord, I pray that you would show us what it means to be spirit-filled witnesses for Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, you just begin to work in our hearts. Show us what we are called to be in and through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, in today's text, what we are seeing is the beginning of Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 being fulfilled. When Jesus said, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. And when we look at today's passage, I think there are four key things that we see about being spirit-filled witnesses for Christ. How many of us know that we are all called to be witnesses for Christ? Raise your hand if you, if you know that. I told you, this message is for you. <laughs> all right, so there's four key things that we're going to understand from this text about what it means to be a spirit-filled witness for Christ. Okay, the first thing that we notice in this passage, what we see is that when the Holy Spirit fills a person, what they receive is a supernatural courage to witness. For this, what we need to do is take a closer look at the person of Peter. Remember, the book of Luke and Acts are both written by the same author. It is one book split into two. So if you just read a few chapters back in Luke chapter 22, it records the story of Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, denying Jesus because he was called out by a servant girl. A servant girl said, aren't you, the one, aren't you with Jesus? And he's denying it. And he denies Jesus three times, spooked by a servant girl. But here in today's passage in Acts chapter 4, we see Peter, not in front of a servant girl, but in front of the Sanhedrin, proudly and boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. You see, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the person is they receive an extraordinary courage to witness. What was the difference between Luke chapter 22 and Acts chapter 4? What happened in between? Pentecost. Pentecost. And this passage gives us a glimpse into the courage of Peter. Remember, we said, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, st stood up and said to them. Now, for us to understand the predicament that Peter and John are in and the courage that they're showing, please allow me to give you a little bit of context behind the Sanhedrin. Okay? First and foremost, it was the Sanhedrin was the highest Jewish legal and judicial council in the nation. So it's the equivalent of you and I standing before the government and they are interrogating us on our beliefs. They're questioning us on our beliefs. Now, it consisted of the who's who in Jewish society. 
So the chief priests were there, the scribes, the scholars were there, the elders of the people were part of the Sanhedrin. So basically everyone who had a name for themselves in Jewish society, the top dogs of Jewish society were all seated in the Sanhedrin. And most importantly is this, the Sanhedrin was actually the council who arrested Jesus, accused him of blasphemy, and then handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. So now, with all that in mind, just imagine what must have been running through Peter and John's mind the night before when they were thrown into prison by these people. They are about to stand trial for preaching Jesus in front of the people who had just killed Jesus not that long ago. If I was in that position, I would be having a meltdown. I would be freaking out. But look at Peter now, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, what's the difference? The difference is Peter was now filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. When the Holy Spirit fills a person, they are filled you and I, when filled with the Holy Spirit, are filled with a supernatural courage to be a witness for Christ. Can anyone say amen? So this morning, do you find yourself lacking in boldness to be a witness for Christ? Do you find yourself too scared to bring up the subject of your faith and your faith in Jesus Christ with those around you? Are you apprehensive about making a stand for Christ in your school, in your workplace, in your university, amongst your friend groups, in your family? Church, today you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's the first thing that we notice. The courage to witness comes from the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this, the content of their witness. All right? Peter and John were not arrested just because they healed a beggar. They weren't pulled aside and thrown into jail because they performed a miracle. They were thrown into jail because of what they were preaching. So now let's take a close look at what the content was of their witness. Acts chapter 4, from, uh, from verse 8 onwards, it says, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Church, talk about next level kind of courage, because these are fighting words. Can you imagine standing up before the Sanhedrin, before federal parliament and government, and you're saying, by the name of Jesus Christ, who you crucified, he is the stone you builders rejected. The Peter was calling out the Sanhedrin. It's amazing. But more importantly, Peter was witnessing exclusively and proclaiming boldly about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let's look carefully at the content of his message. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name by which we must be saved. You know, church, throughout history, the Christian message has been diluted with so many things. We talk about becoming better people. We talk about our moral standards and what we believe is right and wrong. 
We talk about our churches and what our churches are doing. We talk about doing good in society and being an impact for the name of Jesus. But hey, I just want to let us know that Christian witness is not primarily about any of these things. Christian witness is primarily about the name of Jesus Christ. What we are witnessing to is Jesus. You see, what we are trying to do when we witness to people is, I'm not trying to invite you to my church. I'm not trying to invite you, hey, be part of our do-good movement. Look at all the change that we're making. Look at all the impact we're making on society. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you, hey, behave by my moral standard, by my, by my understanding of what is good and bad. Behave by it. Be, be, be better people. Be more moral people. That's not what we are witnessing about. What we are witnessing about is the one name that salvation is found in, Jesus Christ. What we want for people is to know Jesus. That is the purpose of our witness. The content of our witness is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Can anybody say amen to this? You know, I'm so encouraged by um, the example of an American pastor that I was watching. Um, he was sharing in a sermon to his congregation about a friend that he's been reaching out to, a close friend that he invites over to his house on a regular basis, who identifies as part of the LGBT community. Now, you can imagine being a pastor of a Christian church um, and someone who identifies as part of the LGBT movement and has an identity in that, that there is going to be some kind of value clash between the two, right? But I was so encouraged and challenged when he said, you know, every time we catch up, every time we have conversations, the, the, the conversation does not center around morality. It doesn't center around whether homosexuality is good or bad, right or wrong, whether someone should be participating in it or not. The conversation centers around, who is Jesus? What has he done? Is he real? And if he is real, what does that mean? You know, that's so amazing to me because, church, that is what Christian witness is about. It's not about changing someone's behavior. It's not about behavior modification or cleaning someone else up on the outside. It's about introducing them to the person of Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? So church, be bold to witness about Jesus. About Jesus. Jesus is the only one who saves. He is the only one in which salvation can be found. And when someone knows Jesus, everything else falls into place. Jesus is the one who convicts people of what is right and what is wrong. What behaviors they need to change. What things need to be brought back into submission with him. Jesus is the one who causes us to, to, to want to do good to others, to make an impact for the society around us. But it all centers on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That is what our witness is about. So that's the second thing that we notice. The third thing is this. When the Holy Spirit fills a person and they are witnessing, God gives credibility to their witness. The credibility of their witness Acts chapter 4, verse 16. The Sanhedrin are talking amongst themselves and they say, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. And then in verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Why? Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was 40 years old. In other words, everybody knew this was from God. They could not deny what had happened. The Sanhedrin was struggling. Here were Peter and John standing before them, 
calling them out with a supernatural kind of courage. Their education was being called into question. Their position and their understanding as leaders of the religious society, as leaders of the Jewish nation, were being called into question. And there was absolutely nothing that they could do about it. Even worse, it wasn't being called into question by some uh, intellectual protege, some religious leader, some new up-and-coming rabbi. The Bible says that they were being called out by unschooled, ordinary men. Unschooled, ordinary men. Why is that important? It's important because it should be encouraging to us. Let me show you why. Imagine how humiliated the, the Sanhedrin must have felt to be, to be challenged and have nothing that they could do about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And this should encourage us. Why should it encourage us? Because of this. All right, listen to this. Being a witness for Christ does not require you to be the smartest person in the room. Being a witness for Christ doesn't mean that you need to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or to be well-respected in society, that everyone listens to you because of what you have achieved and your accolades. It doesn't require you to have your theological degree in place before you're able to witness to Christ. It doesn't require you to have your apologetic arguments all structured, memorized, rehearsed, so that when someone asks you a question, you know how to answer them. No, 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 no. In this passage, we see only two things that are necessary to witness for Christ. Firstly, is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And secondly, they had been with Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had been with Jesus. Church, is that you today? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? Do you, okay, do you feel unqualified? Do you feel, and I would, I would hazard a guess, that most of us in this room feel extraordinarily ordinary. We feel outstandingly average, and that is okay, because here's the good news. You are exactly the kind of person that God uses. If you will witness about Jesus Christ, we can expect that God himself will back up your testimony, your witness about him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing to do with us. It's not about how smart you are, how intellectual you are, how well memorized and rehearsed you are, whether or not you have a theological degree or not. All that stuff is great and pursue it by all means. But those things are not the requirement for us, the credibility behind our witness. The Holy Spirit is the credibility behind our witness. Hebrews chapter two, verse three and four says this. This salvation, talking about the salvation that we have in Jesus, was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Here's an interesting thing that we learn about signs, wonders, and miracles. Church, think about this. What is the purpose of a sign? What is the purpose of a sign? When you see a sign, it is there to help you identify something, correct? Right, whether it's the speed limit on a road, whether it's what shop you're walking into at Carousel, whether it's the golden arches that you pass by when you're driving by the freeway that letting you know that you need to pick up some fries or something. Whatever it is, a sign is there to help you identify it. 
In the same way, signs, wonders, and miracles, what are the purpose of these signs, wonders, and miracles? It is there to help people identify the kingdom of God. Its purpose is to help people identify this is the kingdom. That's why you see in the Bible, when Jesus goes around healing, he doesn't just do it because he can and because it's fun. He does it because he's trying to authenticate and to show people this is the kingdom of God. What I'm saying is true. I am who I say I am. Look at the kingdom. Look at the kingdom breaking through. That's what a sign, wonder, and miracle does. And then when you read again through the book of Acts, you will find that the majority of the signs, wonders, and miracles that you see do not happen in the context of the church being gathered together in a room by themselves. What you see is the majority of miracles happen outside of the church, actually. It's when they're walking along the streets and they come across a need. It's when people who do not know the kingdom, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, come with a need and the power of God meets them there in that moment. Church, perhaps the reason why the church is lacking in signs, wonders, and miracles is not because we don't pray for them, but because we are constantly seeking for them internally, for ourselves. We come together in a room and we cry out to God for signs, wonders, miracles, signs, wonders, and miracles. And yes, God loves us. Yes, He can do all that. Yes, God wants to heal. He wants to give breakthrough. Yes, He wants to do all these things. But what is the primary purpose of a sign, wonder, or miracle? What if we began to pray for people outside of the church? What if we began to lay hands on the sick, not in the church, not within our CG, but outside of our CG, our friends and family who don't know Jesus? You know what people need? Sometimes what people need isn't a thousand conversations of you trying to persuade them about who Jesus Christ is. Sometimes what people need is one demonstration of the power of God that can set them free. I wonder, church, if we are relying on the Holy Spirit to give credibility to our witness or whether we are trying to do it out of our own strength. Can anybody say amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? With a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, church, the power of our witness is not meant to be in how smart we are, how eloquently I can present to you the gospel, although that is important. But the power of our witness is supposed to be supported, carried through by the power of the Holy Spirit. So be bold, church. Step out in faith, not just to witness, not just to talk about Jesus Christ, but to pray for your friends, pray for your family, pray for your co-workers. Bring their needs before a God who is all-powerful and see what God will do to touch their lives and empower your witness. Amen? Cool. So the fourth thing, the fourth thing. So we see that when the Holy Spirit fills a person, they're filled with a supernatural courage. We see that the content of their witness is about Jesus Christ. We see that the credibility of their witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Signs, wonders, and miracles are expected to back up the truth of what we are proclaiming. And then the fourth thing we see is this. They have an extraordinary commitment to their witness, despite opposition. You see, this is the first time in the book of Acts, the first time actually the church um, after Jesus has experienced opposition. Since Jesus Christ's resurrection and ascension, until this point, the Bible records that the church has been enjoying favor 
with all the people. God's adding to their number daily. They're enjoying favor. Everything is all good. Everything's on the up and up. But this is the first time that opposition, persecution comes against the church. And what we see is that when this opposition comes, Peter and John had an extraordinary commitment to their witness. Church, because what we are witnessing about, because the person of Jesus Christ is not going to be acknowledged by every single person that we preach it to, because the world does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, there will come a point where what you say and what the world believes will clash. It's inevitable. It's going to come. If it doesn't come, chances are you're not preaching (laughs) Jesus Christ. If you're preaching something that the world already agrees with, chances are you're not preaching Jesus Christ. But when this clash comes, that is when opposition, persecution comes. And then we are faced with this question that Peter asks um, the Sanhedrin. He says, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges. You know, if the enemy cannot stop God from working in you, what he will do is he will try to stop your witness. Pay attention to that. If the, world, if, if, if the enemy cannot stop what God is working in you, what he will try to do is he will try to stop your witness. Let me explain. The world will say to us, fine, you believe in Jesus? Sure, go ahead. You have your faith? Sure, believe what you want to believe. Just don't share it. Your belief is your belief. My belief is my belief. That conversation is not welcome here. Does that sound familiar? You want to be a Christian? No problem. I have no problem with you being a Christian. But in this workplace, we don't talk about Jesus. In this school, we don't talk about what Jesus says is right or wrong. In this this place, wherever, this conversation, I I don't want to hear what your Bible, what your God has to say to me. You keep your faith to yourself, I'll have my own beliefs. See, what the enemy will try to do is, fine, you want to have your faith? Have it. Just don't share it. He will stop. He will try his best to stop your witness. But there comes a moment in every Christian's life where we'll have to grapple with that question. What is right in God's eyes? What is right in God's eyes? Is it to listen to you or to listen to him? In church, God is looking for a generation of people who will rise up and who will answer this question the same way that Peter did in verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, church, when, a spirit, when the Spirit of God fills a person, they are filled with a supernatural commitment to the mission that was given to them by their Savior. They are filled with a commitment to witness, even through opposition. Is that okay? John chapter 16 talks about this. When Jesus talks to his disciples, he says in verse 33, He says, take heart, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is, what what he's saying is, trouble is going to come. If you're a Christian, you better believe that part of the Christian life is trouble. And it's not just talking about you not having enough to pay the bills, or you having trouble um, and disputes within your family because people are just aren't getting along. No, no, no. What he's talking about is, if you really follow me, if you really believe in me, you will come across trouble for what you believe, for your faith in me. And church, that's the question we all have to grapple with. In our own spheres, in our own societies, in our own places that we're called, 
Who will we listen to in those moments? Will we listen to the world around us or will we listen to God? You know, I was so encouraged by um, a story of, a true story of an American uh, missionary in the 1950s by the name of Jim Elliott. Some of you may have heard of him. Jim Elliott was an American missionary, like I mentioned. He felt called to witness, to, to evangelize to the remote tribes in Ecuador, particularly some tribes um, that were known for their barbarian acts of violence, their hostility, their ferociousness. They, they, were, they were an uncivilized people group. And so there was this particular tribe called the Waudani tribe, which he felt called to. And so he spent time preparing. He and the team spent time uh, preparing, getting ready to witness and, and to evangelize there. They, they made their way there through, through many hours of travel and many hours of toil. They got their way there and they managed to make a little bit of headway, break contact with the tribe. Everything was going well. But sadly, what happened was in the course of their interactions, they were brutally murdered by that tribe. For some reason, the tribe turned against them, speared them, killed every single missionary. All of them died. Tragic, tragic story. But what inspired me was not just what happened to them and their commitment to witness, but Jim Elliott had a wife. At the moment that Jim Elliott was um, killed, brutally murdered, his wife had just given birth to a child. So here she was, just given birth to a child, hearing the news that her husband had been killed on the mission field. And instead of throwing a pity party, instead of being overcome by grief, instead of retreating and withdrawing into her shell, what she decided to do was she gathered and she resolved to gather the rest of the missionaries' wives, their relatives, and they decided that they would make it their mission to reach out to this tribe, the Wodani tribe in Ecuador. And so that's what they did. They gathered together, they planned, they prepared, and they went and they reached out and they persevered. And by some miraculous grace of God, they managed to reach out to these people and live with them and learn their language and spend time with them. And many of them came to know the gospel through extraordinary forgiveness, extraordinary reconciliation, extraordinary commitment to the cause, despite opposition, they brought the gospel to that tribe. What an amazing story. Praise God. It was, it was so significant to me because when I was reading the story, I was fact-checking to make sure, well, is this true? Does this really happen? Um, the first day that Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, arrived at the Waudani tribe was actually the fifth wedding anniversary. What, can you imagine what she must have been feeling? Her late husband, whom she had married, uh, for, been married to for five years, that would have been their fifth wedding anniversary. And on that day that she, she would most of us would be thinking about celebrating. She was witnessing to the people who had killed her husband. Amazing, blows my mind. An extraordinary commitment to the cause, to be a witness. That is what happens when the Spirit of God fills a person. That's what happened when the Spirit of God fills you and fills me. Is that okay? Church, as I end today, I just want to... Um, Press on what I believe the Holy Spirit is, is calling us to. You see, church, all of us in this room, if you identify yourself as a believer, you are called to be a witness for God. Now, some of you don't feel that very much. Some of you have, um, just through the things that have gone on in life, the, the cares and the concerns which, 
which pull us left, right, and center, you have forgotten your purpose, and therefore you are walking around as a purposeless Christian. For you, questions may be rising up in your heart and in your mind about, oh, what is, is church even meaningful? What am I even here for? What does it even matter that I'm here in this room? Why, does it, why do I even come to church for? What is the purpose? Well, it's because this, we have forgotten that church, we are all called to be witnesses. We are all called to be witnesses. This was our original design. Go back to our origin story. This is what we are called to do. And so I just feel that as I've been sharing, the Holy Spirit wants to press and wants to remind us all, hey, this is what you were called to. Come back. Return today. If you've become sidetracked, it's okay. No condemnation in Christ Jesus, but come back. Come back. You're not here to enjoy a good service. You're not here to enjoy the benefits of being part of a faith community like this. We're all here to be witnesses for Christ. Church, would you stand to your feet? Here's what I think God is doing. I know for a fact that God is calling every single one of us, not just some of us, all of us to return to this primary call of being a witness for him. And for some of you, as I've talked through the four things that we see in the Bible about being a spirit-filled witness, you don't identify with those things. You say, man, I just, I don't have this, that, that kind of courage to witness. I don't, I don't have the kind of words to say about Jesus to, to share with my friends and my family. I don't, I don't have the, the, the signs, the wonders, the miracles that come and back up um, my witness about Jesus Christ. And man, maybe, maybe you fall into the fourth category where you've just, your commitment to the cause has just waned. You just, after a while, you just, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is not for me. Maybe this is for the pastors. Maybe this is for Pastor Benny, for Pastor Dan, maybe for Pastor Amos. This is not for me. This is not, this is not my thing. But I'm here to remind you today, every single one of us, if you're in this room, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. In your family, your school, your workplace, that is what you are called to. And it is impossible for you to fulfill that mission without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the words to say. It is the Holy Spirit that will fill us with courage when we have no courage. It is the Holy Spirit that will keep us committed to the cause. It is the Holy Spirit that breaks out in signs, wonders, and miracles. Nothing you can do can convince somebody to believe in Jesus Christ. It is a work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and we're going to sing. And I believe that in this moment, we're all called to recommit ourselves to this cause that Jesus has called us to. And if you feel that, wow, this is definitely what I'm called to, but I need the power to do this. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me once again. I would invite you to come forward and we want to pray for you. Is that okay? So right now, would you just raise your hands? Let me pray and then let's worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we acknowledge your call on our lives. Lord, we repent for the times where we have made Christianity about something else, about how the church can serve me, about what I want, about my theological leaning. But Lord, you have called us not to fight about these things, not to be so concerned about these things, but you have called us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth for you. So Lord, return us to this place where we acknowledge our call from you. Come fill us once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.